This is Lee, and you're listening to the FemSouth Podcast. And we're embarking on a six-part series examining the impact of the Dobbs decision in states like Alabama, where I live, that have a near-total ban on abortion. We're looking at this issue through an intersectional lens, knowing that access to abortion isn't a single-issue item. It impacts pregnant people's access to health care, pre- and postnatal care, infant mortality, women's economic and social status. It is intimately connected to sex education and consent, birth control, domestic abuse and violence, mental health, bodily autonomy, and on and on and on. Our aim is to keep this conversation in the public without fear or shame. We will hear argument this morning in case 19-1392, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. Matters return to the people. The people can deal with it. They can work. They can compromise and reach different solutions. A majority of states or states still could or and presumably would continue to freely allow abortion. Many states, some states would be able to do that even if you prevail under your view. Is that correct? That's consistent with our view, Your Honor. It's, it's one that um, allows all interests to have full voice, and, and many of the abortions we see in certain states that I don't think anybody would think would be moving to change their laws in a more restrictive direction. You just heard opening remarks from the Dobbs versus Jackson women's health case that was argued in the Supreme Court in December 2021 by Scott Stewart, representing the anti-abortion side. The whole argument is based on returning the choice back to the people. And yet the people were not given a choice or compromise as 26 states were poised to restrict or all-out ban abortion access in their states. Roe was struck down in June 2022, allowing for 13 states' trigger laws to go into effect. According to the Gender Equity Policy Institute report, which is based on CDC and U.S. Census data, 44 million women and birthing people live in states that ban or severely restrict access to reproductive health care. That's 44 million women and birthing people directly impacted. To put it another way, 6 in 10 women live in states that ban or severely restrict access to abortion. Currently, 12 states have near-total bans, including Alabama, my home state, that has zero exceptions for rape or incest. So when Justice Kavanaugh and Scott Stewart, as you heard in the opening clips, built a case on returning the power of this decision to the people, it was an outright political lie especially considering that, according to the Pew Research, 61% of American citizens believe that abortion should be legal. That's over half the population. And we know that compromise is not the anti-abortion agenda, despite what is being said or argued in this case. Anti-abortionists are seeking total eradication, not compromise. In this introduction to our six-part series, I'm going to be introducing two members of our activist team, Lindsay and Meta, that will be co-hosting and producing this series with me. We're going to be talking about what our activist team has been doing in our community this last year since the Dobbs decision, and we're going to be talking about all the different topics that we are going to be addressing in this six-part series. So we're going to be kind of laying out the groundwork for what's to come next. Um, I hope this series uncovers the truth about what the people really want and need and how this decision is already negatively impacting society as a whole. We hope you enjoy. So I'm very excited to introduce to you all my very special guest and co-host of this podcast series, Meta and Lindsay. Meta was born and raised in Denmark. She did a journalist degree there and worked as a newspaper reporter before moving to the San Francisco Bay Area in the early 2000s. There, she worked at the Berkeley KPFA radio station and later started her own PR agency. Meta has lived in Fairhope with her family since 2014 and has been an active member of FemSouth since its foundation. 
Lindsay moved to Fairhope in 2020 from South Carolina, where she was born and raised. She's the art director and copywriter at a product design company that she co-founded with her partner in 2011. She joined FemSouth after she connected with the group at a protest following the Dobbs decision, and she is now our graphic designer. So I'm very excited to have you both with me. Welcome, Lindsay and Meta. Thanks, Lee. Thank you. What's up, ladies? <laughs> very excited to be here, too. So Meta and Lindsay... What were your thoughts when the Supreme Court decision to overrule Roe was leaked? What were you what were you doing? What were you thinking? How did you how did you feel? How did you respond? Oh, the overturning of Roe was something we had we had feared would be coming for a very long time. And then I think the day that uh it leaked from the Supreme Court that this was very likely to happen. Um I recall sitting in my office that day and then I quickly uh, you know, connected with Yuli, and we talked about what can what what can we do? And you put out like a very um, very quick call to action invite to come down to the Fairhope Civic Center and do a rally, very impromptu, very uh, very very uh, spur of the moment. And I remember thinking, oh, I I don't think I can do this here in Fairhope. I, I was a little bit afraid at first about doing it, just because. It is such a conservative place and standing on a street corner in the deep south voicing your opposition against um, this decision is really not always without risks. Going out on the streets protesting in San Francisco is something that I always felt was preaching to the choir. Everybody always kind of agreed with me. There was never any risk, any fear of confrontation or anything like that. So I was a little apprehensive at first, but then I also thought, looking back 20 years from now, if my kids ask me, what did you do the day that you heard that Roe was going to be overturned? And I could not look them in the eye and say, I did nothing. I was just, you know, just rolled over and said, okay, I, I'm too afraid to go out and say anything against that. So I think those were one of the things that propelled me, like, where were you that day? What did you do? And I decided to absolutely, you know, go be- get behind this this and support it any way I could. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think th- that might have been the day that we met, Meta. Yeah, I think that was the first time you and I yeah. met, and Lindsay. Yeah, that's probably true. Because yeah. I was texting with you, Lee. Um, we had just met recently, too, I think, and I wanted to do something. And coming from Charleston in South Carolina, there would have been a a, a group of people that I was texting and that we would have done something. And, and I was so still new here that I only knew Lee. So Lee got all of my texts. What are we doing? What's happening? And and she said there was a protest and I didn't hesitate to to join. And I got a ride there and my boyfriend said he was worried about me. And I didn't even consider that. I had not thought about being in an environment where I might not be safe to speak my mind about this issue. And that's, I think that made me more of an activist. Um, I really felt like visibility had to be more important to get out there and show people that there were people in town that <clears throat> that do feel differently and would support women. I love where you guys are going with this because I think that was really one of the biggest obstacles to get over was the fear of being out in public and voicing an opinion that might be unpopular in our area because we do live in a conservative mm-hmm. community here. And I also felt like it was really important. That was one of my biggest motivations for organizing this protest was so that we would be visible, so that we the, the, the myth that everybody here thinks and believes and votes a certain way right would be debunked because it simply isn't true. And I think it's so powerful to, in that way, connect with like-minded people that have no idea that there are other people here that feel like they do about such an important issue. And and really, a protest like this, I don't think we're going to change anybody's minds necessarily because this is often an issue where people are dug in so hard and eat their trench trench on this but reaching out to the ones that are feel the same frustration and and are upset in the same that we are as well and letting them know we are here as well um 
I think that's really important to know that they are not alone because you feel very often, you feel very quickly very alone in the in, in a very conservative area as we find ourselves in here. So just seeing people stop, like, the, you know, their mouth drop, having, you know, pulling up their phone, you know, video uh, mm -hmm. videotaping us, like giving us a thumbs up, honking their horn, that kind of encouragement yeah. was so heartening to see that. And, of course, we had some of the... People that will come over and yell baby killers and, mm -hmm. and be really obnoxious and awful. But I think you have to be prepared for that. And that was one of the things that I initially was, was very fearful of. But I think you just have to be prepared for that and to not interact with those because you cannot change those people's minds in, an inter in a back and forth on the street like that. You can yeah. let them know what you feel about it, but you shouldn't necessarily you know, interact in a, in a situation like that with them there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's important to talk about how we had that first rally, which was just a few people showed up for that first rally, but our second one, the first one was when we got the Supreme Court leak, or the leak that the Supreme Court would vote a certain way. Yeah. The second one was after Roe fell, and we had over 100 participants at that one, which may not sound like a lot for a protest, but in our small community, that's a lot. And that was where, you know, we had a lot of support from the community with cars driving by, people joining us just off the streets. It was so exciting. And we had such a range. We had young people. We had people from as young as, you know, teenagers to older people. And who said, you know, I can't believe we're here again having right. to do this again, um, trying to protest a basic right that we've fought for and won, you know, uh, 50, 50 years ago. Years ago. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. <clears throat> so, yeah. And some of them are just so starved for information, right? Because they're not being taught about this in school. They're not getting comprehensive sex ed in school. They're not, you know, being taught about contraception. And their parents are very often um, not, they don't see eye to eye with their parents in, in this on, on this matter. We had several of uh, the teenagers come up to us, at least I had conversations with them saying, yeah, my parents would absolutely flip if they knew that I was here today, but I want to be on your mailing list. I want to find mm -hmm. out more. Where, when can I join the next one? And I thought that was really encouraging to see and, and how much courage it also takes for young people to go against, you know, the, the older generation, their family on, a, on, on an issue like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was surprised how conservative it is here. I thought, you know, because of the sort of bedrock of Fairhope being this, like, sort of wild group of outside thinkers who, you know, thought differently about society and single-tax colony and all of this, uh, and, you know, an arts arts community. The I, utopia. I'd heard. Yes, I had heard <laughs> of this utopia. And then, yeah, it is, it is very, it's quite red. Um, so seeing the turnout of men and women and older people and younger people all at that protest, oh, that gave me so much hope. I really needed it, especially especially with the news of, of Roe being overturned and immediately Alabama banning um, abortion, like in the same day. <laughs> no, they were they were ready and waiting to ban it in the state, so... So let's talk about what we have been doing then this year because, you know, we did that initial protest. We did a couple more after that, but we've been doing a lot of stuff on the ground. Well, well, first of all, we organized almost immediately after that first protest, and we changed our book club book that month to Roadmap for Revolutionaries, and we, you know, started thinking about taking the next step from being a book club community that's educating to actually trying to do something and make a change in our community. So let's talk about that, like all the things that we did following. Oh, man, that's when it got fun. We uh, started researching and learning. I think there was, uh, by fun, I mean uh, panic-driven and uh I was not able to focus on work. All I could think about was this and how do we fix it and how do we get our rights back. And I think we started a document on Google uh, for reproductive freedom resources in Alabama that we still maintain today. Uh, made a couple of brochures, how to have hard conversations about abortion. Um, I learned that our state motto is we dare defend our rights. And that just blew my mind that that's exactly what we're doing. 
Um, uh, yeah, Lindsay, you did a fantastic job on laying out those brochures. Uh, there Thanks. is so much go-to information about the, the state of abortion in Alabama and nationally how to conduct conversations about abortion. If you want to access those brochures, they're in, um, in the link tree on our Instagram. Yep. And I've actually already used them a couple of times with some of my friends that worked with uh, that work with uh, domestically um, abused children. Um, one even, you know, ended up being pregnant and we were able to give, um, give her that kind of, um, you know, brochure and information to help uh, to help a pregnant teenager. And I think wow. that was really powerful that we were able to, you know, provide guidance and help in this fashion. I think there's so much fear. Lee, you hosted a processing circle. And that was really, really powerful. And I remember just the energy in the room. And one of the women said that they felt hushed in Fairhope or in Alabama. And... I just, I can't remember feeling hushed. Even in South Carolina, I, I guess you grow up in, a, in the bubble that you make for yourself. And that has been consistently a wake-up call and a reminder of where I am and how, the, how that affects people because of things like access to sex ed or not knowing where to call if you need help for um, making a decision about your situation. Um, It doesn't have to be an abortion. It could be adoption. You may want to continue with the pregnancy. So, you know, learning about, uh, there's a website, alloptions.org, all-options.org. I think that was my top recommendation for this this young person um, to not assume that someone wants an abortion. I know that's so personal and so complex and nuanced and the the way that Alabama has approached this fear and the suppression of women, um, I think that's what compelled me to compile a bunch of data and and links and uh, and then print it out and make sure that we can get it into people's hands. I, f- I think you bring up a very important point, Lindsay, about this kind of of being hushed. I mean, I mm. so I don't work in the community. But I have a um, I have a daughter that went through high school here, and just having her talk about what it's like in a school setting when the when the topic of abortion comes up, mm. and she has told me that there will always be somebody saying <clears throat> murder, like Ooh. that would utter that in class if sure. if it comes up, and uh, and there will be teachers saying things like, well, you know, I could of course never do this myself and yeah. and be and talk about it in a way where they start talking about all all of the all of the risks and all of the back the drawbacks of the having shame. an abortion the shaming and yeah misinformation and, yeah. Uh, yeah where it's never really mm. presented in an unbiased oh, yeah. manner as she comes home and, and always has her head full of all of mm-hmm. these terrible scenarios and really weighted kind of opinions mm-hmm. on abortion that is presented in the school setting here. Wow. So it starts it starts young. I mean I think uh there are there were three abortion centers in Alabama and over fifty fake clinics. So I mean this is this is the atmosphere, right? That, that there's way more misinformation out there than information. We're gonna go into in a in a in a um, one of our other episodes about what what fake clinics are. We're gonna mm-hmm. talk a little bit more Great. about that later. But basically, just really quick for our listeners now, that is a faith based pro life clinic that offers counseling for pregnant women. They are never going to uh, help you with an abortion. They're going to talk about all of the terrible things that can happen if you have an abortion. Very often based on medically inaccurate information. Yes. So that's what a fake clinic is. We're going to talk more about that later. Yeah, so some of the other activities that we did that I thought were really powerful were having a postcard signing party where we made some really beautiful postcards. Lindsay, you made some really beautiful postcards. (laughs) And we got everybody together to fill them out in public in Fairhope (laughs) and mailed them off to our representatives. And... That was a really fun and rewarding experience because we had a lot of people that showed up and a lot of people, because they were writing these personal letters, got to really think about and talk about how this was impacting them personally, which I thought was very powerful. 
Yeah, some really good conversations. I love that we did it in public instead of one of our houses. That's <laughs> definitely people came up and were curious and and uh, some people, you know, bought some stamps and wrote some postcards. And yeah, we were also writing to the uh, Alabama Department of Public Health because that's when they were revamping their guidelines for birth centers, I think, and and doulas and midwives weren't included at the time in that conversation. So we were also writing those letters. It felt like a very powerful evening. Um, I guess community, that's that felt, gave me hope. I'm finding the hope points. I, this this could be such a dark topic that uh, anytime I find a, a ray of light, I try to remind myself. This I is think I'm doing it. every time we meet somebody who's surprised that we're here, mm-hmm. add their name to our mailing list saying, how can I be involved? How can I learn more? Yeah. That is that is such an encouraging little victory. Okay. Yeah. And then we also reached out and connected with the Focus Alabama group in Mobile and went to their Kickstarter activist first meeting where they also wanted to talk about and address reproductive rights in Alabama. So we were able to make that connection. And we got to meet Moshe Donald, who was running for district attorney at the time. And so that was another really great connection that we made. And definitely something on our to-do list for this next year is to make connections with groups and organizations in the community that are doing work around these issues and to plug in and plug our members in so that we can help and do what we can. Because I know we do a lot of education. We do a lot of community building by getting together um, and having various activities. But we haven't been doing a lot of actual activist work. So I think that um, this last year we were really able to do a lot of things like, you know, have call to action to actually write letters to our uh, representatives so that they would know that we're here and they would know that their constituents don't all think alike, mm-hmm. right? And don't all agree with their policies. Mm-hmm. And it's important for them to know that. The the FemSouth tagline, educate, integrate, activate. I yes. remind myself of that all the time because I think being able to reach people where they are is really important. And that everybody's activism looks different. Some people don't want to be at a protest, but they will write or call their senator. Um, so making sure that people in the mailing list and in the group are aware of different ways they can participate and make a difference and find things about causes that really resonate with them. Yeah, I think that's really important. I actually had quite a few friends that work like in public government offices or other kind of functions where they can simply not be seen mm-hmm. out in public at a yeah. pro-abortion protest if they want to keep their job, wow. which is also, that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> that, that is also very, as, as Gary thought, that you could, you know, lose your job protesting mm-hmm. such um, an, an important issue. But that that's, again, just a fact of living here. But but they want to be informed. They want to help mm-hmm. in other ways. So uh, so I think it's important that we focused on reaching reaching those kind of supporters in other ways yeah. than, than just being on the street corner. Because, right. again... A lot of people, unfortunately, aren't just able to do that without any risk. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, we had the voting cycle this year Mm -hmm. as well. So we did a lot of research on candidates who supported reproductive rights. And we provided that information. And and, um, I know a lot of us volunteered at the polls. And so, you know, unfortunately, you know, we didn't. We didn't get good results in Alabama like we had hoped that would help us with over changing our current law. But I think that we we did see when we were out doing the um, campaigning work that there were a lot of people, more people than we thought, who were supporting yeah. women's reproductive rights. And that's also so when, when you look at... Uh, at all of the states where uh, where abortion has been on the ballot, even in a very conservative state like Kansas, they have been supported. You know, the, the bans have been struck down in every right. single state this year where you have uh, had abortion on the ballot. Right. Uh, abortion has prevailed. That's right. And I think it's interesting 
in South Carolina, I'm still plugged into the politics there. I still have family there. And one of the representatives said, you know, they essentially don't have to put it on the ballot because all the they've already, the public's already spoken. They elected the, the people. And, and so the, the politicians can make these decisions for people. And we just have to keep telling them that's not how it works. We want to see abortion on the ballot. We want these initiatives back into our hands. Um, I, I'm very curious what the plan is. I know it's going to be a long road to restoring our rights. So I wasn't too disappointed this November. I, I had low expectations. But um, if we stay active and make sure people have access to information. And, and I think that also just shows, for instance, like, that abortion uh, bans can be struck down in a place like mm -hmm. Kansas, where you have such a high number of conservatives, just like you have here. How complex of a, of an issue this is that you can you can be you know a, a diehard Republican and still be be pro choice. Mm -hmm. It is a very it's not mm -hmm. a black and white issue. So again, I think it's so important that politicians don't just think you know they're elected you know they elected right. me. So of course they all think this way. Right. So and that and that's where we that's where our our work is. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe that's a great segue into what our six part series is going to be looking at is asking a lot of the questions that I'm sure everybody is asking now. You know, I know immediately after it fell, everyone was scrounging, like we said, for information. And I think even now, um, there's still a lot that's unknown. So there are a lot of questions. So we're going to be hopefully finding answers to a lot of those questions. So I kind of want to start this conversation with a with a discussion about how we're going to frame our six-part series. So first of all, we're going to be doing a six-part series investigating the impact of the Dobbs decision on reproductive rights in Alabama. And I think, though, it's important to talk about the framework. First of all, the framework is intersectionality. We are an intersectional feminist book club. And what does that mean? That means that we don't just consider issues that are important to one type of woman or one type of person, but that we know that there are various intersections of identity and levels of oppression that impact people. And so yeah. the same with this issue. This is not a single issue. How does it impact other things? You know, what are the intersections of reproductive rights? Because, first of all, what does reproductive rights even mean right. when we say that word? What are we actually saying? Mm -hmm. Well, I can I can speak to reproductive justice. I uh, I wanted to read um, the definition of reproductive justice. That's from Sister Song in Georgia. Uh, Sister Song defines reproductive justice as the human right to maintain personal bodily autonomy, have children, not have children, and parent the children we have in safe and sustainable communities. Um, they have a great Audre Lorde quote, there's no such thing as a single issue struggle because we do not live single issue lives. Yeah, and I think it's also important that we're framing this with the ideas of compassion, dignity, and self-autonomy, or bodily autonomy, right? Mm -hmm. These are all really important values to bring to this conversation because oftentimes the other side, I don't want to say the other side, <laughs> but oftentimes anti-abortion activists yeah. frame us mm -hmm. as being not compassionate and really seem to have the morality flag on their side, which is mm. simply not true. And so, again, one of the reasons why we really wanted to do this series and talk about all these different ways in which um, reproductive justice impacts our lives and, and the different avenues that it feeds into is because these are places where we have to be compassionate for people. These are places yeah. where people are having real experiences that impact their lives, that impact their families, that impact their communities, and, you know, much broader impact the world. And these are things that are not being addressed directly by anti-abortion activists. I want to play another clip from the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health case. This is Julie Reichelman speaking on behalf of the respondents about the impact the overturn will have. Eliminating or reducing the right to abortion will propel women backwards. 
two generations have now relied on this right, and one out of every four women makes the decision to end a pregnancy. Mississippi's ban would particularly hurt women with a major health or life change during the course of a pregnancy, poor women who are twice as likely to be delayed in accessing care, and young people or those in contraception who take longer to recognize a pregnancy. To avoid profound damage to women's liberty, equality, and the rule of law. So you just listened to an argument being made by Julie Reichelman, who was the lawyer speaking on behalf of the respondents. Given what Reichelman is predicting, I want to quickly talk about the current landscape. We're going to dive a lot deeper into the landscape in our next episode. But Lindsay, I know you've been doing a lot of data collection. What are some of the stats you're seeing that echoes what Reichelman is saying? Sure, yeah. Uh, We know that the CDC data shows that states with the toughest abortion restrictions also have the highest mortality rates and low birth rates. Um, So we're looking at Alabama ranking, what, third highest in the nation for maternal mortality, fifth highest in the nation for infant mortality. Um, But just in in general, uh, you've got 44 million women and girls that live in states that ban or severely restrict access to reproductive health care. So that's 44 million people that are affected right now. And mothers living in a state that banned abortion after Dobbs, like Alabama, were up to three times more likely to die during pregnancy, childbirth, or soon after giving birth. And babies born in states, like Alabama, were 30% more likely to die in their first month of life. Uh, Black women were almost three times as likely to die in pregnancy, childbirth, or right after giving birth than white women. And black babies were more than two times as likely to die in their first month of life as white babies, which is heartbreaking and preventable. So that's a that's a broad national picture. So looking at then the state of Alabama, mm-hmm. how do we stack in comparison? I think, uh, well, uh, Alabama's maternal mortality rate is the third highest in the nation, but 70% of maternal deaths were preventable. And that's from the, the, the Alabama Department of Public Health reports. Um, and in Alabama, black women are five times more likely to die from pregnancy-related causes than white women. Uh, we have the fifth highest teen pregnancy rate in the nation. There was a report, a report from the, the Women's Fund of Greater Birmingham on the, the 2020 status of women in Alabama, um, and that's got this data that they're, they're pulling together to give a, a pretty grim picture of what women are struggling with already before the ban. So we can only expect then for it to even get worse. Yeah, uh, there's a study called the Pregnancy-Related Mortality Impact of a Total Ban on Abortion in the United States, um, published in Demography in 2021. Uh, And it was denying all wanted induced abortions in the U.S. would increase pregnancy-related mortality substantially, such as uh, as much as a 33% increase in maternal deaths, even if the rate of unsafe abortion didn't increase. And you're seeing a much higher increase in BIPOC communities. So looking at those stats then, um, that really kind of helps set up the foundation for some of the things that we're going to be talking about in our six-part series. Because we're still organizing this (laughs) series, right? And we're still like in the process of making it. So just... Full disclosure, this is not a series that we have already completed. This is our kickoff podcast, but we are going to be gathering the information and producing these podcasts over the next few months. So um, some of the topics though, that we really want to look at are, first of all, the landscape of Alabama, because that's where everyone's probably wondering, you know, what's legal, what's not legal? Are there any clinics still open? What information and resources and procedures are they providing, where to go for an abortion, abortion pills, those kinds of things. We're going to be talking about that. But then after that, we're going to start diving into some other things like infant mortality in in Alabama, because Alabama has the fifth highest mortality rate in the United States, right? 
Um, and based on CDC data and uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics, it's also been ranked the worst state to have a baby in the U.S. Yeah, it scored like 29 out of 100, something abysmal. <laughs> yes. And also with that is looking at uh, Alabama's midwifery programs, their doula programs, how they support birth workers here. So that's going to be um, kind of a collective podcast about birthing yeah. and giving birth in Alabama. And the, the Alabama maternal mortality rate is the third highest in the nation. Yes. And so what does this decision and how does it impact pregnant women and hospitals mm -hmm. and physicians' capacity to deal with complications that arise in their pregnancies, right? So right. that's definitely going to make that even worse because these stats were produced before the overturn mm -hmm. of Roe. So how will that change when they start to look at 2022 and 2023? And will that increase? So I think that we probably will see a lot of a lot more increase in infant mortality rates and women dying trying yeah. to give birth, right? Unfortunately. Because when is it a, when is it a medical exception? You know, when does the ban? Yeah. I mean, supposedly the Alabama abortion ban uh, makes exceptions for for medical emergencies. But when is it a medical emergency? And we're seeing a lot of stories now come out that you know doctors are afraid yeah. of taking this on and actually saving the the life of, of the mother in a case like this because it might not be recognized as a, as a medical exception, which is really, that's when you get into really scary territory. Right, and even the medications, too, that could help a woman have, a, if she's having a miscarriage, for example, make that less painful and, and quicker. Like doctors are less willing to give the medication was what we're finding out. So there's there's all kinds of things that are coming out right now, women's experiences with physicians who are afraid to offer treatments because they're afraid that they're going to be investigated for something that might be perceived as an abortion or even recorded as an abortion because even the language with miscarriages and abortions are very similar. So I think all that's going to be really interesting to look into um, and, some, and definitely something that I think a lot of people maybe aren't thinking about when they're supporting anti-abortion agendas. Another thing that we're going to be looking at is sex education and teen pregnancy. And I know, Meta, I would like for you to just quickly talk about this because this is an initiative that you had started a year ago and looking into sex education in our own district and how that's connected to this now total ban on choices that teen girls are sure don't sure. have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so basically, we, real quick, and we're going to unpack this a lot more in, in a coming episode, but here in Baldwin County, since 1995, the Women's Care Medical Center has been teaching sex ed in 7th, uh, 8th, and 10th grades in all county schools. And not people, parents definitely, are not really aware of this. This is a faith-based pro-life organization that comes into a public school to, to teach abstinence only. And they are basically telling the kids that the only safe sex is no sex. And there's a lot of, uh, um, you know, shaming, uh, especially of, of girls. There's a lot of medically inaccurate information. And uh, they basically tell, they, they hand them pure uh, pledge cards that say, I pledge to remain sexually pure until marriage. Should they hold up marriage as that is the time where you start having sex? The only time you should talk about uh, sex with a partner is, in your, is when you're in premarital counseling. I'm actually quoting verbatim from the wow. curriculum. So obviously, when you teach this kind of curriculum to our youth here in this community, you are going to see a high rate of teenage pregnancies. You're going to start seeing a high rate of STDs because they are not getting a comprehensive sex ed, they're not getting the tools to know what is really going on, and they're also not being taught a lot about consent. They're, the, the, they're not, there's a lot of shaming again, especially on the part of the girls, not so much on the part of the, of the boys. So that's what we are seeing as a, as a result of that. And I think having that in mind when one of the things in the ban, uh, abortion ban here in Alabama that is especially dark and and upsetting to me is the fact that there's no exception for yeah. incest and rape. 
knowing that there is no really sex ed that girls might even know what it is that is happening to them because it's not really explained to yeah. them what sex is. They are telling them that it's like hands to privates and privates to privates or something like that, but they're not telling them actually what what it is, what it means. Mm. And my, I remember my daughter came home and was wondering, they had been asked, wondering in her class why marriage in itself could protect you against an STD. And I was like, that's oh. a very good question. <laughs> um, <laughs> and having that in mind, that... Um, that the abortion ban here in the state of Alabama makes no exceptions for incest and rape. And then looking at the statistics just from our own county here, that we live in Baldwin County, um, the Baldwin County Child Advocacy Care Center, um, they provide a host of services and resources for child victims of sexual abuse and severe physical abuse. Last year, in 2022, they served 437 primary victims of alleged Mm -hmm. abuse. And uh, they did 309 forensic interviews and 55 medical exams on site. And this is a significant increase from years prior. Now, why this number is going up, that's also something that we're going to be diving into a little bit more in, uh, in future episodes. But it's just so obvious that there is such a very big pattern of of children here in this county that are that are abused and that are not giving the, the tools to recognize and acknowledge that abuse. If we just look at the state of Alabama and we look at how many abortions were performed last year, in the ages of 10 to 14, there were 24 abortions carried out. These are in 10 to 14-year-old girls, 24. 15 to 19-year-olds, there were 673 abortions. So if we just sit with that number for a moment, these are all girls that today would not have been able to terminate, that are not able to terminate their pregnancies. And I think we need to look at these kind of numbers when we have these conversations, because it is not just a, you know, an abstract kind of discussion. We got to look at these girls would be denied that option today. I mean, that is, that is three girls under the age of 18 every day in the state of Alabama today, if the numbers are the same as last year, and they might even be going up based on, on what we're seeing here, that are denied the right to an, an abortion of, of, of a potentially unwanted pregnancy. And I think it's safe to probably mm-hmm. assume from the ages 10 10 to 14, yes, that is probably not a planned pregnancy. Not a planned pregnancy, that those would be unwanted pregnancy, and even from 15 to 19. Right. So Mm -hmm. those are definitely, I mean, we have, Alabama has the fifth highest teen pregnancy rate in the nation. And that cannot be solved from an abstinence policy. That we, we really need to have comprehensive, medically accurate conversations about sex education and consent and all the things. And so, yeah, I'm really excited to talk further and dive more into that issue. Um, A couple other things that I think are really important to look at are the relationship between reproductive justice and domestic abuse. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be talking to people who are in women's shelters who have firsthand experience with pregnant women and women coming into their shelters and some of the issues they face. Um, We're going to be looking at incarceration in pregnant women, which is another really Mm. big topic right now in the state of Alabama as more and more information is being uncovered about how many pregnant women. I think people are starting to pay more attention to how pregnant women are treated in facilities and the impact that that has on the child's life and just the horrible conditions for pregnant women in these prisons. So that's one aspect of that, being incarcerated while pregnant. But then there's also the Chemical Endangerment Act right now that is, you know, this looming threat that the district attorney is now saying that they're going to pursue that as a net possible avenue. Because I think it's important to remember that the majority of the anti-abortion movements, their goal is 
not to limit abortion, but to completely eradicate it in all forms, including chemical. And so what we're fighting against is a total mentality. And how can you criminalize? So in Alabama, the law right now is not to criminalize the birthing person for seeking an abortion. The criminalization happens to the physician. But the Chemical Endangerment Act is a way around that. Mm-hmm. So, and so I think that that's going to be another really important and eye-opening episode yeah. to dive into. And I'm really Absolutely. looking forward to learning more about that and getting more involved in, in thinking more about um, how we can help the women who are incarcerated right now who are pregnant. Yeah. And there's a lot of uh, stories about abuse of the women in prison and mm-hmm. of women becoming pregnant in prison as a result of yes. abuse. Well, yes. Yeah, Alabama prisons are a piece of work. I think they're a big, they seem to be a moneymaker for the state. And I know that um, there's a lot of international attention on the prisons, and I hope that that continues and creates some change. Yeah, definitely. And so we're also going to be looking at mental health and social work in, in, in foster care systems and things like that and talking to experts in those areas. And I think, again, one question that I want to know is what has been the emotional and mental impact on, mm-hmm. on people as a result of this? You know, I mean, we talked about this. We were very depressed, not able to concentrate on work, not able yeah. to, you know, feel, I mean, the, the sense of urgency and the feeling that something needs to happen and jumping on board mm-hmm. and starting all this activist work is exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> it's mentally exhausting. It's time-consuming. It's anxiety-provoking because you don't mm-hmm. know if you're going to be fired from your job for you know talking about it or doing anything about it. So there's this whole realm of mental health to talk about. And there's also then the impact, what social workers are seeing, and in foster care systems, because another mm. argument that's being made by the anti-abortion side is adoption, right? And so mm. how viable is that and how many children are actually in reality ending up in foster care systems? I saw a very um, <laughs> interesting little segment where a, a journalist walked up to an anti-abortion rally and he asked all of these uh, protesters how many of them had adopted children themselves and of course none of them had (laughs) and that just kind of showed how it's just an easy thing to say right it's just an easy Mm -hmm. thing to say well you can just um put it up for adoption you know um and and it is just not that simple and i think one of the powers of this podcast that i see is 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 we're going to pull in some of these professionals that work in this field, some of the people that see this impact in their day-to-day that are going to talk to us about this, that are going to explain what are the real repercussions of this. And I think that's going to be really powerful to hear from some of these sources that we're going to bring into this podcast, to hear from them. What are they actually seeing out there? Right. I think we see a lot of headlines that are terrifying and my concern is there's so much more, actually, that we're not hearing about. Um, so, yeah, it will be good to talk firsthand and to give them, hopefully, a microphone and a platform to get the word out of what's going on, really, if, on the, in the lives of people in Alabama. Yeah, and I think, finally, another really important topic will be the economic impact. You know, how will this impact women and women's equality? Um, how will this impact poverty and Again, Alabama is one of those states that refuses to expand Medicaid. So when you look at the stats of how many pregnancies were terminated, you have to consider now all of those stats are going to be funneled into how many people are now going to need support for pregnancy. So that means we need to spend more money on pregnant women, right, or pregnant people. And is Alabama willing to do that? Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting when we were looking at one of the studies that came out from the... um, the 2020 Maternal Mortality Review. So this was a review that was looking at, um, was trying to investigate the mortality rate. When we look at that, and we see that one of their recommendations was simply to expand Medicaid because so much of the deaths were occurring after postnatal 
within mm. that time frame, within a year or two after the pregnancy. And so Alabama did extend that to one year, which was Yay. great. But mm -hmm. one year, okay, so let's just think about that. You get right. support for one year, and then what? Mm -hmm. What do you do after that one year? I mm -hmm. think that's definitely something that we need to investigate and look more into is what support is actually out there. What is yeah. Alabama going to do? Because right now, mm -hmm. it doesn't seem like Alabama is really going to stand by their pledge to help women raise yeah. children that they don't want right. or can't afford. Yeah. And if we look at some of the stats of what that really means to be forced to carry an unwanted pregnancy to term, um, American Journal of Public Health, they found that families are four times more likely to live below the poverty line. Parents are three times more less likely to have full-time work. And parents are also six times more likely to receive public assistance. So this goes back to what you were saying about is Alabama prepared to support and uh in terms of the Medicaid expansion, there is a really great organization here in Alabama called Cover Alabama, and they are fighting for expanding Medicaid. And they actually have stats for each county in Alabama on what it would mean to expand Medicaid. So if in the state of Alabama as a whole, 13% of all women of childbearing age have no insurance. Passing the Medicaid expansion would actually result in a 33% reduction in the number of uninsured just in Baldwin County, and this is according to uh, to Cover Alabama. And and then there's a lot of other facts on what kind of um, you know being able to expand healthcare and getting more jobs, and then it is it is a net gain for sure because KIVs you keep saying well it's going to be too expensive. But that is looking in the very short term. If you look at it long term, it is going to be a boon to the state, uh, no doubt. But right. that is also something we, we, we're going to look at a little bit more in depth. Right. Said. So it's it's not just the the costs of not having insurance. It's also once you do provide and expand Medicaid, that has a really positive effect on the state. Um, there was a study, the Women's Foundation of Alabama that Medicaid expansion-related economic activity could generate $446 million in new state tax revenues over four years and actually save $316 million in current state health program costs. So it's a win-win. Yeah, and I think Medicaid expansion is definitely important, but it isn't the only thing to think about no, when we're talking sure. about this issue and the ways in which unwanted pregnancies impact people and families. I mean, just looking, again, throwing another stat out, the U.S. Uh, Census Bureau of 2021 poverty data shows that states with the toughest abortion restrictions have the highest child poverty rates and teen birth rates. Yeah. And how that is a cascading effect, how do you recover from poverty? Mm -hmm. If you're thrown into motherhood as a, as a teenage, you know, mother, that's enormously difficult yeah. to overcome or if you already have several children you know and you have an unwanted pregnancy and you already are struggling with the ones that you have I mean how do you overcome that economically I think that's a a really important factor because probably most decisions made about pregnancies are related to economics yeah. most of the people who seek abortions are already parents. 89% of people over 35 are already raising at least one child. So yeah. absolutely there's an economic decision that people are trying to be able to make for themselves, which they can no longer make. And the Alabama. welfare of their existing children. Exactly. I think it's so important that they're, they're now not able to be the parent they want to be and, and give the resources that they want to the children mm -hmm. that they already have. I think that's a very important point as yes. well. Yeah. So we have a lot of great topics that we're going to be covering over this next several podcast episodes. So I'm really excited to dive into this with both of you. And, and the professionals. <laughs> I can and Google. The professionals. Yeah. I can yes. Google. I've, I've worked in libraries. I, I can Google for people. That was uh, my main role at a public library was Googling for folks. Oh, but I think you mean to, ga gathering yes, information? Just gathering information. But I think talking to the people on the ground who've been affected by the HB 314 in Alabama. Yes, absolutely. So we definitely want to end these episodes 
with a call to action. What can you do if you are really interested in getting involved? And one of the things is if you are someone who's doing this work right now and you want to talk with us, please reach out. You can reach out to us at femself at gmail.com. And um, if you, you have some ideas about some things that we haven't been con- talking about or considering too, we'd like to hear from you. Maybe we can um, add to our list of, uh, of things or incorporate some other things, some other related issues into our mm-hmm. podcast series. So definitely don't hesitate to reach out and talk to us. You can also DM us on Instagram. You can follow us on Instagram at FemSouth. And that's also where you'll find our link tree with other links, including our link to our reproductive justice list for all kinds of information related to this issue, especially if you are needing an abortion and you're looking for resources for that. You can find a lot of really good resources on our on our page. I can highlight a couple of the the top hits. Yeah, please do that, okay. Lindsay. Highlight some of those. <laughs> I would say my my top really important things that we'd want you to walk away knowing is that while abortion is banned in Alabama, it is legal to travel out of the state. So know that. And because it's banned, uh, you're encouraged to talk to your doctor now about birth control options. So do so, please. If you can get your hands on some emergency contraception, that is not abortion medication. It's perfectly legal. Plan B or the morning after pill, still legal in Alabama. Um, those you can get at drugstores online or in person or free from yellowhammerfund.org. If you are pregnant and unsure about your feelings or what to do next, there's a, a really wonderful um, support service at alloptions.org, and that's all-options.org. They also have a toll-free number for judgment-free support. And if you've experienced a miscarriage and you need support, um, mahotline.org will help. And there's also a private safe aftercare clinic in Alabama, the West Alabama Women's Center. Um, definitely check out their Facebook page if you need some, some help. And what if you're in the need of funding to travel out of state? Do we have any information on the uh, groups that you can seek assistance with? So, yeah, if you're needing assistance to get out of state, I would recommend ARC Southeast, ARC-Southeast.org, and then also abortionfunds.org. And you might want to call them instead of using a browser, or (laughs) we can talk in a future episode maybe about some of the just concerns about digital privacy. But, yeah, abortionfunds.org, I need and a.org, I need an A, also a good website, and it'll walk you through what you can do. And Plans. again, all of that information is in the link tree yeah. on Instagram. Yes, it's a lot, but there. It's all there. <laughs> okay, well, Lindsay and Meta, I feel very excited to yeah. be embarking on this journey with you, and I hope that what we're doing is meaningful to people, and we're providing a lot of good information, resources, support, knowing that yeah. you're not alone, yeah. knowing that so many women have gone through this, right? I think that's important to keep coming back to because anti-abortionists will oftentimes use shame as a weapon. Yeah. And there is no need to feel shame or alone in any of these kinds of situations. I think that's really important to reemphasize. Yeah. Um. I think Nina Simone said, I tell you what freedom is to me, no fear. And that's right now what the AG has really weaponized is fear. A lot of uncertainty. And so I'm really glad we're talking to a lot of people and getting the word out um, to try to reduce fear. And Sister Song said, our society will not be free until the most vulnerable people are able to access the resources and full human rights to live self-determined lives without fear discrimination, or retaliation. Nice. That's a good ending point. Thank you, Lindsay. Sure, man. Well, until next time, you're listening to Fem South. You've been listening to the Fem South podcast and our six-part series on the impact of the Dobbs decision in Alabama, produced by Fem's Act, an activist wing of Fem South. 
FM South is an intersectional book club, community, and podcast, and now activist team dedicated to demystifying the feminist movement and amplifying Southern women's voices. Our mission is to educate, integrate, and activate. If you would like to learn more about FemSouth, you can follow us on Instagram. You can head over to our link tree and find all the different ways in which you can join our mission and participate. You can also ask to join our private Facebook book club group where we talk about the books that we're reading and provide information about the events that we're sponsoring. As we continue to talk about the important impact of the overturn of Roe, it is important for us to say that we are not here to help anyone or assist anyone in accessing an abortion, and we do not offer any abortion services. If you would like to learn more information, though, you can head over to our link tree on Instagram. So follow us on Instagram at themsouth. Click on our link tree where you can access our full and comprehensive list of reproductive justice information. You can also find out more information about us by going to femsouth.com. You can reach out to us at femsouth at gmail.com. And you can support us at patreon.com at femsouth or femsouth on Venmo or PayPal. Thank you for joining us. And until next time, you're listening to FemSouth. Mother and child, come with me. Sisters young and old, now we see.